Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Caitlin Donovan is an expert in Chinese medicine, a burnout coach, and the host of the podcast Fried, the Burnout Podcast. All of her projects are ruled by one thing, end burnout culture as soon as possible. She truly believes that stress management is the true medicine of the future and is relentless in her goal to teach as many female entrepreneurs as possible to be more resilient, have more energy, and more fun. So welcome. This is actually your podcast. So I am Natalie. I'm going to be the co- uh, host or the interviewer today. And I am so excited to uh, turn the kind of spotlight around onto you and highlight some of your burnout story. Natalie, I'm super excited about this. Um, (laughs) And I found myself actually being a little bit nervous before we started. I've been interviewed on podcasts before, but this is my podcast. So this is a little bit different. Um, So when, when Natalie wrote to me and said, hey, I have this idea. I know you've got a lot going on. But what do you think about doing a reverse interview? I think it would be good for your listeners to get to know you and I'd be willing to do it with you. I was like, actually, that sounds incredible. Let's do it. So both feet in, like we're just we're just jumping in and uh, and switching the tables around today. And I think it's going to be super fun. Totally. Yes, I'm so excited. And I, as I was going through your blog and everything else, I was like, you have so much to share. I'm so excited to really turn it around and hear from you as well. So one of the things from your bio that jumped out, like almost like it was highlighted on the screen that I wanted to know um, about, first of all, was that you said you want to end burnout culture as soon as possible. And I absolutely love that. So I wanted to know what is so damaging about burnout culture to you? Well, for me personally, I mean, it destroyed my health. So I, my thyroid broke down and, um, Uh, It took me a really long time to get to a place of stability again after that. And I feel like what we're not realizing and what's really obvious when you get into a life coaching space is that it's literally affecting every single part of our lives. Absolutely. And I think this is the really important thing. Like it's, it's, you're not just burning out at your job and then it's affecting your career path or your business. When you're burnt out because of your job or your business, it's also affecting your family, it's affecting your body, it's affecting your health, it's affecting all of your community relationships, it's affecting literally everything. Totally, totally. And I think that's one of the cool things about getting to help people with healing is you get to see that when their health improves in the same way that kind of healing burnout can help to improve things, usually they start to do different things in in their jobs or in their lives or in their presentness with their kids or in all of these different aspects. So I love how connected that is for you. 
Yeah. Do you know the wheel of life exercise? Like the, it's a really typical coaching exercise that people do in the beginning when they start coaching someone new. Yes, absolutely. But if someone doesn't know, then, then feel free to give a brief explanation. Yeah. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, Mm. There's basically this idea that there's a circle and it's split up into sometimes six sections, sometimes eight. It depends on who the coach is and what kind of things they're going for. And each of the sections is labeled health, mm-hmm. uh, self-image, career, finances, relationships, community, into different areas. And you go through and you judge your level of satisfaction with each of those areas. And once you've done that, most of the time you realize that if you were to create a bicycle out of two of these circles, it would be like a jonky ride. You know, you wouldn't be getting very far. And that's true for everybody. So it's not, you know, a judgment thing. It just sort of is what it is. And then you choose one area to work in because one of the things that happens and one of the reasons we burn out is because we're trying to do everything all the time. And what we don't realize is that if we increase our amount of fun and recreation, that's going to also affect our relationships, which is going to affect our community, which is going to affect our jobs because we're going to have better standing and we're going to have better relationships and, and, and. So it just really shows you that when you choose one thing, it spills into everything, which is why I think it's important to choose a thing. So if somebody's working with you and they're going to be doing nutrition work, that will spill over into everything else in their lives. If we work on burnout, it'll spill over into everything else in your life. So it's not about it being the only way to do things. It's just about choosing one thing to make it easier and more successful. And I love that too. I love it as much as I love the nutrition side. It feels so great and so freeing for someone whose top priority may be fixing a relationship or maybe fixing their finances or something like that to spill over into their health as a reverse um, kind of looking at that same thing too. So I love the the focus on just focus on one. <laughs> yeah, just choose a section and go for it. Yes, yes. So then my second question, and then we'll dive into your story, and I can't wait to hear all about it, is what do you think the world would become if no one was burnt out? Hmm, that's a good one. I think if no one was burnt out, and we allowed space for grace, which is one of my sort of tagline things that I say to people all the time. If we allowed space for grace and we allowed ourselves to grow without guilt and shame, and we allowed ourselves to create businesses that were sustainable, that still allowed us to enjoy our lives, I think that we would have an overall bump up in a foundational level of happiness that's available to society at any given time. Because I do believe that societies have certain levels of satisfaction that are built within them. I think that people have, you know, set weight points often. We have set happiness points. And changing those points is, you know, internal work, but also requires external work. So I think if we ended burnout culture, I think the satisfaction level and the happiness level that was just in our communities would take a rise up and would allow us to focus on bigger level issues. Like when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once we have, you know, food stability and shelter, then we can start working on the next level of stuff. Right. And if we have this whole 
section of people that are in the personal development phase of the hierarchy and they're stuck there because they're burnt out. They've already got the financial means to do things. They've already figured out how to, you know, eat and all of these other things, but they, they can't get past this personal development stage. Then we can't take people to the next level of growth. We're all stuck there. And so I think if we could end burnout culture, we could pull the whole triangle up by a whole level. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I love that. Um, so I would love to hear your story now. My burnout story is rather rather long because I didn't realize it was happening for a long time. Um, the, in retrospect, the first time I burnt out was at the very height of my career when I was living in Warsaw in Poland. I had worked for a couple of years in an infertility center, and then I opened my own office, and I was very successful very quickly. And I found myself totally overwhelmed by what people needed from me. I couldn't keep up. Um, I had a three-month waiting list, which sounds impressive when you say it. And when I talk to people who were struggling in their practices, struggling to find patients, struggling to, you know, sort of make ends meet financially, they were saying, oh, you're so lucky, you're so lucky. And I was sitting there banging my head against the wall because if I had one more new patient call me that I had to tell that I wouldn't be able to see them for three months, I was going to lose my shit completely. Right. And so I started to feel really resentful um, of my patients, which is not a good space to be in when you're treating people. Um, I take full responsibility for that now. I could not at the time. And I was still very successful. I just wasn't enjoying it. I didn't have any fun. And then my body started to break down. I am not the type to really get depressed, but I went through a pretty high um, anxiety period during that time. And I gained a bunch of weight and I found out within about a year that my thyroid had totally crashed. Right. So I was given a hypothyroid diagnosis. They told me to get on meds. I, of course, with my background in Chinese medicine, I wasn't about to to do that because I have different ways of dealing with issues like that. So I cleaned up my diet and I took care of myself and I got honest about the fact that I really didn't enjoy living in Poland and told my husband, we need to get out of here. But at the time, I still didn't realize that I was burnt out and I was still sort of blaming the culture and the people and the place for how I was handling my life. I I was not taking full responsibility for my portion of of it because I, I didn't know how because I didn't know what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. So I, so I ran away. I said, we need to go. We need to leave this country. I can't be here anymore. And my husband got a job offer just, you know, as the, as these things go, when I say I'm at my wits end, we need to figure something out. My husband got a job offer and we moved to Prague. So I was relieved, you know, I have this whole new opportunity. I can create a whole new thing and I can do it in a way that feels better to me and et cetera, et cetera. So I did. Okay. So before we get into Prague, because I want to hear that part too, but I wanted to pause here in case someone's not intimately familiar themselves with maybe the term burnout um, 
when you were feeling how you were in uh, Poland, what you said you didn't know it was called burnout. You didn't really understand what process by which it was happening. What would you have called that back then? I would have called it everybody else's problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was, I really, at that point in time, I was saying my body is breaking down because I don't like this country and I don't like the way that people are treating me here. I don't like the way our people are treating each other here. I don't like the way things work. It feels rude to me. It feels difficult to me. So I was saying my body is reacting to this situation and I just need to get out of this situation. Right. Okay. Okay. I love that because I feel like it's a new way of kind of looking at the the kind of condition of burnout without that kind of label. And I think a lot of people may relate very heavily to different times where they may have blamed the circumstance and the place or the situations. And so I feel like that will be really helpful. So then the switch, then you uh, moved to Prague and you have this amazing new opportunity to kind of start again and do it on, on your terms. How did that part go? But meanwhile, while I was in that phase of being able to do that, I was still paying student loan bills from the United States. So when I finished my master's degree in acupuncture, I had almost $100,000 in student loans that I needed to pay back. Um, and so that was a really significant number, especially being in Poland and the Czech Republic, because in the United States, where the average acupuncture treatment depending on where you are in the country, could be anywhere from $50 to $100. In Prague and Poland, anything over $30 was considered extremely expensive. So I was making, you know, sort of dollar for dollar a lot less money, but still had the burden of this bill to pay. So while I thought that I had the freedom to create something new, my drive for creating the next thing was still get this loan paid back as still as, as soon as possible. I wasn't necessarily trying to create something super different in my business because I was still blaming the country and the people for what happened in Poland. So I didn't really think that I had a lot to change at that time. So I got stuck in the same, uh, in the same sort of situation again in Prague a couple of years later. And I never worked as much in Prague. I kept my hours down and it was more sustainable for me. I had more free time. I, we got a dog, so I spent more time in nature. So in general, health-wise, I was feeling better and I was doing okay. And then after a couple of years, I started to break down again and my body was just, you know, I started gaining weight again. And I, and I was just like, oh my good Lord, what is happening? And it was that second breakdown that really made me stop and say, okay, what is going on with you? My, my first exposure to life coaching had been quite a few years before I did an apprenticeship with a friend of mine in Poland. Her name is Eva Błaszczak, and she is um, a high-level executive coach. And we ran a fertility coaching center together for a little while there, maybe a year or two. And so I had worked with coaching before and when I was in Poland, I had done some work with Eva and some other people that she knows to like change my mindset and to work on all different things, but nothing ever really stuck. And I felt like no matter how much work I was doing, I just wasn't actually getting anything out of it. I was just still tired and stuck and sort of a mess. And in Prague, 
when I finally realized that something was really wrong, I kind of looked at all that work and started doing it for real and started getting really, really, really honest with myself. Right. Okay. I always think of being the most burnt out as being this kind of oddly, almost like a dark magical time for just being willing to like go for things you never thought that you would before just because you're, or at least in my experience, I was so desperate to get out of that situation that I was like, okay, you throw a mindset trick, let's do it. Like, you yeah, exactly. Look. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I was just, I was, I was desperate and I needed to figure it out. And I thought, and then I heard the word burnout and my whole body like clicked and I was like, oh my God, that's it. Right. Okay. So uh, what was your um, kind of process to recovery like from, from that point? Well, the, the recovery was sort of the sideline. I mean, really the thing that was happening was I was starting to discover all the background reasons behind why I was burning out. And I keep discovering more and more of these as time goes on. Um, it hasn't really stopped yet. I, I just finished writing the Bounce Back Ability book um, about burnout in female entrepreneurs. And it's being edited at the moment, but there's a whole nother section that I just realized this week that's not in the book because I, I just found found it out. So since I started this process about three years ago, I have continuously discovered new things that drove the behavior within me that caused me to burn out. So it was less, I mean, it was a recovery, but it was more a discovery. Okay, I love that. So I found myself sort of really digging into the whys behind my behavior. You know, when I started thinking about the fact that when I was planning my businesses in the past, the only thing that I was planning for was financial success because I needed to pay this bill and I needed to prove my worth. And I found myself just like on the hamster wheel of just needing to make money. And I was good at it, mm -hmm. but I wasn't enjoying it. So I thought, okay, something's not right here. You know, and I started unpacking that. Um, I also realized after some time that there's so much of proving myself that goes into my work. When a patient shows up and wants to work with me, in my mind, I had to prove to them that I was much more valuable than the money than they, that they were spending to spend time with me. Right. And I think this comes from a couple of different places. I think part of it is just, you know, growing up in systems where in, you know, the Catholic church where there's a lot of guilt and a lot of whatever, there's all sorts of bullshit reasons why, why we can create these things in our lives. Um, but I think the other reason was because I graduated school really young and I started my acupuncture practice when I was 24 years old right. and I didn't feel that I had enough experience in acupuncture or life really to be valuable enough to anyone. And I never stopped to update that even after I had had years and years and years and years of clinical success. I never stopped and said, oh, actually you're pretty good at this. <laughs> yeah. Like people are coming to you because they wanna come to you. They're continuing to pay you because you're helping them. Like the exchange is even, you don't need to give 400% every time somebody's in your office. Right. I love that. So that was a big one for me. Yeah. That was a big one for me. 
I love that. I think that's going to hit the hearts of so many people for sure. Um, I One of the things that I had, as I was listening to some of the podcast episodes, um, one of the things that I heard that kind of came up time and time again was uh, people who were burnt out finally stepping away in some um, in some big way from their problems and just getting a little bit of distance from whether it was a weekend retreat or a journaling activity. Was that any part or what did that look like if it was a part of your discovery recovery? Hmm. I mean, I don't think that you can have a full view without stepping away. I don't, I don't know that it's possible. And so a huge part of my discovery recovery was um, proprioceptive writing, which is something that I recommend to people often in practice. And proprioceptive writing, um, I think the woman that started it, her name is Linda Metcalf uh, Trichter. And she was a teacher, I believe, at the New School in New York City at the time, a professor of English, I think, when she um, created this system. And it's a pretty simple thing. There's a ritual around it. There's a certain type of music, a candle, and a set amount of time that you write. And as you're writing, there's a, a question that she asks you to ask yourself. So if you write something like saying, oh, I feel burnt out then the next thing should be, when I say burnt out, what I mean is, so what do I mean by, is this leading question that allows you to go sort of layer by layer, deeper and deeper and deeper into what's actually behind the words that you're saying. So in one of the podcast episodes with Terry Hofford um, in the beginning, we talked about you know not saying, oh, I feel fat, because that fat is not a feeling. Like, do you feel bloated or do you feel disappointed or do you feel what's the actual feeling? So sort of allowing yourself to dig underneath the surface words that you use to describe your experience on an everyday basis and find out really what's underneath them. So the process of proprioceptive writing was something that gave me a huge amount of distance and made me realize things. I've been doing self-work and coaching, like I said, since 2000 and. God, who knows? Even during acupuncture school, this is part of the process. I, ro- I read Carlos Castaneda when I was like 17. Like I've been into this stuff for years and years and years. And I thought that I had already done a lot of work, but I had really stayed on the surface for a lot of it. I found good quality explanations that would satisfy people on the outside without really allowing myself to get into the depths of what was behind those things for me. I love that. And I just want to say for anybody who's listening, I didn't know the term for that journaling, but I did have someone um, teach what sounds like a very similar, or maybe an offshoot of that. Um, And I am a crier, like a proud when I get to the bottom of something, there's always, that's my uh, method of emotional release. Um, and I, so I often celebrate kind of like, Oh, it was a good cry. Like it, it came out. Um, but that method of writing, if, uh, if anyone's kind of interested or, um, 
wants to learn more or uh, anything like that can be incredibly valuable and cathartic. And really, if you've been struggling with um, with self-help stuff and kind of working on the surface for a while, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that can be such a tool for being like, everything that I was saying was wrong, I just got so much further into. And now I actually have found the kind of root of it so that I can pull the plant up as a whole or, or however. Yeah. Instead of trimming the leaves over and over again. Yes. Then. Yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, the truth for me too. Awesome. Oh, I'm so glad. So thank you for, for sharing that, uh, that tool. Um, I think one of the next things that I would love to know, and I absolutely adore, I'm so excited for uh, your book, um, Bounce Backable. Is that what it'll be called? Bounce, the Bounce Backability Factor. The Bounce Backability Factor. Okay. That was one of the things that had jumped out at me was you had mentioned that term a few times in the podcast episodes. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think made you bounce backable? I think that underneath all of bounce back ability is this underlying deep knowledge that no matter what, you'll figure it out. It kind of really goes hand in hand with Marie Forleo's theory that everything is figure outable. That deep down underneath, you're not going to let yourself totally collapse. And even if you felt like you've totally collapsed, it's still not collapsing really totally like there's there's still something in there and to me that core knowledge that I can let this get really 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 bad but at some point I'm going to ask for help shift something change something whatever it happens to be to me that's bounce back ability and I was gifted that by my parents do you think we all have that Yes. Awesome. Okay. But I do think that it's harder to access for some people than for others. Yeah, of course. Of course. That makes sense. It can be all covered up in there. (laughs) Yeah. And usually it's covered up in trauma. Right. If it's covered up, it's covered up in trauma. And then in that case, the only way to get through it is to do some trauma reintegration, do some work with a trauma-informed specialist of of some kind, whether it's a coach or or a psychologist, or whoever it happens to be. But there are definite, like when the adverse childhood effects, the ACE scores, have you know about this? Mm-hmm. So for anybody that doesn't know, there's basically this set of uh, few questions that as if you ha- score more than you know three or higher, you, chances are you had some sort of trauma during childhood. And the higher that you score on this chart, the more likely it is that you have a trauma that prevents you from um, changing your behaviors and having an easier time making clear decisions in life because it literally, the childhood traumas literally affect the way that your brain is formed and the way that your decision-making powers are formed and the way that you see yourself and function in the world. So when I looked at my ACE scores the first time, I expected them to be pretty low. Like I had a pretty good childhood. I thought I, we definitely had our problems, but I didn't realize how significant some of the things that I went through were because in addition to being gifted this belief in my own bounce back ability from my parents, 
I was also taught the lesson that, you know, everyone else always, there's always someone else that has it worth worse than you. So you need to be grateful for what you have, no matter how it feels to you. Mm -hmm. And so while I grew up thinking that this was a strong value and that this was something that was really important, um, I've realized over time that this is one of the things that uh, drove me toward burnout often because I didn't allow myself to believe until I took these this ACE, you know, it's not really a quiz, just it's just a survey, until I looked at this ACE survey and realized, um, actually, I have some things that need to be dealt with, but I ignored them for a long time because I wasn't in like abject poverty and I had shoes and food. Right. You know, so I... I feel like ACE scores, a high ACE score will lead to a more challenging time finding that source of bounce back ability within yourself. Right. Okay. I love that. And I think it's really hopeful too for anybody who maybe hasn't accessed that part of them to know um, that they have something deep down there that they may be able to reach or that they can reach with the proper help um, that can show them or can tell them that they are kind of either worth bouncing back or that there is a way for them. Just kind of that underlying knowing of like, this will happen, this can happen. I know, I know this in myself. Yeah. I believe very, 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 very strongly in everyone's bounce back ability. I know that it's in there because we've seen, and we've all heard the stories like bounce backable stories are our favorite kind. Sometimes we call them the hero's <laughs> journey, but we love bounce back ability. We don't even know the word, but we love it. People that have been through really, really crappy stuff and then come out on top and are not acting victims and they're not, you know, sort of saying, well, this was my life circumstance and I couldn't get away from it. We love those stories. We share them like crazy. They go viral on Facebook and Instagram, and we're obsessed with it. So there's no question to me that deep down in there, we can access that. The question is, do you have four layers to uncover or 12? And it's, yeah. not, a, it's not better or worse. It doesn't, it doesn't even really matter because some, some people, for me to even accept that I had four layers was really difficult. Whereas if you knew you had 12 layers and you sort of realized that earlier, it might be simpler for you to get through those 12 than it was for me to get through those four. There's no, it's, there's no better or worse, or it's just simply how many layers do you have to break through and how thick are they? Of course. I love that. And I think too, and you addressed it in what you were just saying that we couldn't all resonate and love those stories if they didn't switch something in us or if, if we didn't have that part of us that was also saying like, yes, I can move forward. So I love that those bounce back stories are, are so big. And I think it does show that it is there. It is there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the commonalities that you mentioned in terms of um, burnout stories that you have been hearing through this podcast and through clients is a lack of honoring our own energetic cycles. So I wanted to know specifically what that means to you. 
honoring our own energetic cycles is so supremely important and we have no background knowledge of it in Western culture. So it seems like total woo-woo mumbo jumbo. But when we stop and really look at it in each individual person's life, this is something that I do a lot of my coaching is on finding all the places where energy is leaking in your, li- in your life and pulling it back into you so that you can know how to use your resource- resources properly. Not everybody has the same level of energy available to them, first of all, just because people are born different. Mm-hmm. And while the same, like I believe everybody has energy within them, everybody has bounce back ability within them, some people can run triathlons every other month and some people should be walking and doing yin yoga. Right. And I think that if you are a person who is a walker and a, you know, someone who should be doing yin yoga and you're trying to push yourself to do a triathlon, you're going to burn out faster. Mm-hmm. So this is one or get, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in whatever way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel that in current American culture, at least there's a huge emphasis on individualization and the verb to do. Mm-hmm. So not only are you supposed to do everything, but you're supposed to do everything alone. And that is not an energetic cycle that works well for the majority of people. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us are burning out because we are trying to do things in ways that is not in alignment with our natural way of functioning. One of my very closest friends is always been a late sleeper and she goes to bed late. Actually, two of my very close friends are on that same cycle. And it just is what it is. They cannot conform to the way the rest of the world survives because that's not the rhythm of their body. That's not the rhythm of their life. And for instance, me, my husband is, um, can do a lot of exercise and needs to do a lot of exercise to manage his like emotional self. That's, that's how he works through most of his stuff. But me trying to keep up with him over the past 12 years is not in alignment with the amount that I can actually do. But I was also a gymnast before I met him. So I was, I've been always pushed physically to do more than it was energetically possible for me. I ruptured my Achilles tendon this year. It just bust in half. And then I was in bed for three months, you know? So whether it's injury or burnout or whatever it happens to be, when you are not honoring the natural energetic cycles of your body, it's, you're going to burn out faster. It's just the way it's going to happen. And I think the other thing that is really important to talk about is the energetic cycles of being a woman. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because this is the other cycle that we're taught, you know, Equality is important, but what I think that people don't realize, it's equality in the amount of respect, not equality in that we should be able to do all the same things. If we want to do all the same things, yeah, sure. But the chances that you're going to be keeping up with someone in a race the day after your cycle versus the day of your ovulation 
very different scenarios in your body. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that there's this lack of respect and acknowledgement of the fact that as women, we do live these natural energetic cycles. And if we paid more attention to them, our lives would be much easier. Yeah. I, I remember um, being in India and uh, there, I was at the, an ashram and they were um, teaching us yoga and meditation and all the different pillars of, of yoga. And one of them was the pranayama work, the, the breathing work. And I remember when they taught us, there's, there's these kind of breathing exercises that are um, very strongly using your abdominal muscles to kind of contract everything back in very quickly. And I remember the teacher saying, you know, you don't do this during your period. Um, and I remember thinking like, I don't think I've ever heard any messaging about anything that you're that there could be um not a weakness but but just like that there are different demands of your body during that time and I just remember thinking like wow like in you know all of our phys ed classes in all of our um you know workouts and in marathon training whatever there was never uh any kind of talk about that so I'm really really glad that you brought that up yeah, and it's incredible because it makes a major difference. Like in Chinese medicine, when a woman has to rebuild all the blood that she's lost, so your right. food should change around the time of your cycle, and you should be eating things that are more nourishing and easier for your body to absorb. Like it's better to have stews and stoops, <laughs> stews and soups <laughs> at that time um, because it's easier for your body to absorb those nutrients that way, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And when I ruptured my Achilles tendon, I had just started my cycle and I went to a kickboxing class at six o'clock in the morning and I busted my ass for an hour. And then when it was done, I decided to do round offs like I was still a gymnast right. and, I, and it busted and chances, you know, my Achilles, when the doctor looked at it, she said it was already pretty torn up before it ripped. So I had already overused it for, you know, uh, probably two decades, at least if, if not all three. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was bound to burst at some point. But the fact that it burst when the amount of blood in my body was literally at its lowest point in the month mm -hmm. makes total sense in Chinese medicine. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to know... Um, in terms of the energetic cycles, because it's something I am really fascinated by. And there was a, there was a Reddit post that I was so happy to see just a little while ago where this topic came up and it was really surprising to see how many people um, really noticed changes in, in their energetic cycles, um, productivity at different times. And uh, the kind of conversation was focused around like, how do you get back there? I think we can all relate to being like, ah, oh, that was such a high. And I, you know, mm -hmm. did X, Y, Z and got all this stuff done. Um, and I wanted to know, um, how did you, or how do you continue to learn to honor your unique energetic cycle? And that can be cycles too, as, as a female working through your um, menstrual cycle. Yeah, I do pay attention to my cycle and I do try to schedule most sort of networking slash um, speaking engagements sort of as close to my ovulation time as possible. 
because that's <laughs> when I have the most energy to connect with people. And that's when like sort of, you know, according to pheromones, I'm the most attractive. So mm -hmm. I think that's important. Um, I also pay really close attention to, you know, I actually had a, a perfect storm a couple of last month. Um, I, I just started my acupuncture practice, so I'm just not really on much of a schedule yet. You know, things are still building. And I happen to have three or four people scheduled on one day, which is a huge day in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And on that same day, my husband needed me to pick up a piece of paper for him in New York City because if I was already going into the city, so I just had to stop by and pick someplace up. If he was going to go in and he was going to have to take a half a day off and spend all this time going coming in and out of the city, I was already going to be there, so it just made more sense for me to do it. And something else happened on the same day. Oh, I was meant to give a talk that evening, um, and I had originally planned it for a different time, but it got shifted. So okay. all of these things happened at the same time, and I woke up in the morning, and I had my cycle, and I was like, okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> and I took care of myself as best as I could that day. I ate easier food and I took care of myself. I didn't walk as much. I slowed down as much as I could, but for the following, the three days following that I had a migraine. Right. And so to me, I'm at the point in my life where I know sort of when I can push it and when I can't. And my body just doesn't really let me not pay attention to my energetic cycles anymore. Like I was, I sent my book in to, to have the manuscript reviewed and she sent back the information and I read through her notes and I didn't change anything for 10 full days because my body would not let me sit down at the computer and focus on that. So I, I just don't fight with myself anymore. I love that. What a beautiful lesson. I just listen because it doesn't, I don't do good work when I don't listen. The writing is not as good. The, the things don't flow as well. It just, nothing works the right way. So, um, yeah, I just, I just stopped really fighting. So I don't know if I have, uh, I think, in addition to like, as, as far as women are concerned, in addition to a monthly cycle, which I believe men have as well, just a little bit differently. Um, I also think that seasonally we have to make a lot of changes. Like when it's dark most of the day, like stop, slow down. We're not supposed to do as much. And I think that we're, we have this such a strong, there's so many tips on like how to, how to have more productivity. It makes me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> we don't always have to produce more. Right. Sometimes we have to rest. Sometimes we have to germinate. It's, I think we just are so focused on this constant like output of information and material that we forget that that material comes from a place of stillness and quiet. Yes. Yeah. So I would love to know um, what if, uh, and it sounds like you're really good at uh, when we were chatting at the beginning saying kind of focus on one place. If there is one thing that you do for yourself during that kind of resting phase versus that uh, maybe action phase or um, however the cycles may be, 
Um, or if there's one thing that's on your heart that you feel would help other people who are in that, what would you say that is? I think the thing that I rely upon the most when I'm in resting phase mm-hmm. is uh, it's kind of a two pronged thing. Part of it is journaling, and the other part is um, offering to the divine. So when I'm in a a lower energy phase and I don't know what's coming and I don't know what's germinating and I don't, I'm not creating anything in particular because I'm waiting for something to come out and I'm not sure what it is yet. If I do not make an effort to tell the universe, Hey, this is yours. Just show me what I'm supposed to do. I end up efforting more than I need to. So for me, it's about surrender. And most of my practices and the way that I think about it and the way that I talk about it, I would say come from the work of Tosha Silver. Okay. Um, She wrote a couple of books. One of them is called Outrageous Openness, and it's a collection of short stories about handing things over to the divine. Letting the divine lead is the way that she says it. Um, and the way that she writes about it makes the most sense to me because it's not about not taking any action, but it is about honoring those moments that you're not supposed to, and then being primed and ready to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. But in order to do that, you have to be so still within yourself and your, your, you know, peripheral vision has to be so wide that you're really paying attention and taking everything in and you cannot take things in unless your energy is lower. Cause when you're high energy, you're putting stuff out. Yes. So part of that, this whole cycle to me is act, 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 put things out, put things out and then toss it over to the divine and say, what's next. Right. Guide me, show me. I love that. And I'm, I'm so happy. So thank you so much for sharing that. I know some people uh, sometimes try and stay away from it or have these processes that I've heard um, that then aren't really always shared publicly. So I love absolutely that, that that is something that works for you and, and that may work for other people as well. Well, and I feel like I didn't talk about it very much in the past, but mostly because it was so normal to me that I didn't realize that everybody wasn't doing it. Right. I just didn't, it didn't really occur to me for a long time to talk about it. Right. I, yeah, I I have to say there were a few podcast episodes that I was listening to um, where there was mention of like, oh, this is a little bit woo woo. And I was like, oh, wow. Like (laughs) I didn't even, I was, I haven't even considered that you know, these things become so natural. So right. at first, um, at first kind of learning about them, they can feel a little out there. And um, I know with that one exercise, uh, I kind of urged or, or thought it may be helpful for somebody to actually dive into if they are struggling. There are things that will feel hard at first, Oh yeah. The spiritual path is not an easy one. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And we'll feel awkward or or, am I doing it right? Like that's all normal, but there will be a point in time, just like anything else, like riding a bike or sending your first big email or anything else um, 
where then it becomes so natural. You're so used to doing it that you're like, oh gosh, I totally forgot. That was like, had a weird entrance to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a girl, Kaya Homa, um, who runs a podcast called It's Going to Suck. And okay. it's about basically the personal and spiritual growth journey. And she does a lot of nutrition based stuff as well. Awesome. But the, just the title of it, I sent it to my best friend because uh, in Poland, because I said, listen, this is what we've been saying for years. You know, there's a lot of sort of promotion of a spiritual way of life, but no one tells you that it's going to be difficult to make these choices. It's yeah. really comfortable for me right now to notice when it's time for me to surrender and be like, okay, your turn. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that the process of surrendering is an easy one, especially for a control freak like myself. You think I just started handing things over and was okay with it? Like, uh-uh. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah. I think that was something that on that Reddit thread and also throughout kind of listening to this podcast um, was I was like, wow, it's it, it seems to be a consistent thread that these uh, people who move into burnout um, both have such huge hearts, like a, a genuine willingness to give or overgive or um, help, and also uh, a mindset that feels very hard to turn off. And so yeah. I feel like when we're talking about these processes, it, if there's any process that you know of that helps you turn off, that's fantastic for you. That's that's the essence of the surrendering or or anything else. So I, I just love that you have shared yours. And I, I think oddly enough, I think people that burn out, not that like, it's amazing if you don't burn out, that's fantastic. <laughs> but, but some of the people that I've heard that have burnt out, I can relate to so much and just be like, I love you as people. Like I just, I immediately. Um, There's a connection there. Yeah. 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 I agree. Sure. I agree. So eliminating burnout in the world is uh, one of your beautiful goals. Um, one of the ways that I always think of this is with uh, the next generation, not to bypass the one that we're in and not to bypass the work that you can do on yourself. But um, you mentioned uh, in one of your podcast episodes, the biology of belief that kind of mentions up to six years, you set a lot of your coping mechanisms that may not have been the most helpful or may not support you through your entire life. Um, you also talk a lot about a need for resiliency. So I was wondering for parents out there who know that burnout is detrimental um, or at least is not beneficial, then what would you love to see in uh, the raising of the next generation or um, what do you think would maybe need to be different to eliminate burnout from their experiences growing up? Yeah, this is really funny. I was just writing about this today, actually. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm writing a, a sales page for a year long membership that I'm going to start in 2020. So I'll be launching probably in, in about a month. Um, for very highly successful, burnt out female entrepreneurs. And one of the things that I wrote to them was like, this is not just for you. This is for you. This is for the generations that came before you. This is for the generations that are coming after you. This is changing the systems so that other people don't have to make these mistakes. 
And I think that that's majorly important. I'm not a mother. So this is a, a question that I don't know that I feel very qualified to answer because I think that the issue there is that there are societal waves of parenting that have a major influence over the way we act with our children that people are not necessarily consciously controlling. Okay. Can you say that again in a different way? Yes. I think that there are certain waves of, say, you know, about maybe 10 years ago, it was this, you know, you need to reinforce children and then positive reinforcement and everybody gets a ribbon and da, 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 da. And the whole system shifted to do that. Right. And now we're realizing that everybody getting ribbon isn't always necessarily the best thing. And these kids are growing up, not thinking that they can accomplish anything or thinking that they can accomplish everything without actually even making an effort because they were just gifted everything with ease. So that's not really a great system either. So I think that um, while we change burnout culture, it will be a natural side effect that the parenting will shift and the focus on the qualities to create in your children will shift from just making them believe that they're ideal and have no issues, which never actually works anyway, no matter how much (laughs) you praise people, that's just not the way it happens, Mm -hmm. to building resilience in children, to raising children with this belief in their own bounce-back ability, to raising children to believe that when they are confronted with a problem, they have the internal tools to combat it. But we can't do that. We can't teach that. We can't have that wave until we know that ourselves. Right. Okay. So it sounds like starting with ourselves now, which is what your program is uh, aiming at doing. Yeah. Um, and then what would you, um, it was a fabulous answer, even though you said you were like, oh, it's good, a tricky, like I don't want to not step on anybody's toes, but when you're not in that position. So um, maybe something that's either easier is uh, how do you feel it's best to either increase our own resiliency or to kind of uh, reparent or or discover um, that bounce back ability within ourselves? Well, I think that that's one of the things that breaks down into being a really individual process. I think the process of discovery recovery is mm-hmm. is really important, but I think that it looks differently for everybody and I'm totally okay with that. You know, my process is a lot of writing and coaching and things like that, and that's what I do with clients. But there are people who need trauma reintegration therapy. There are people who need Reiki masters. There, I treat a bunch of people with acupuncture. There are people that need a therapist or need to be on antidepressive medications or whatever else it happens to be. I do believe strongly that your bounce back ability is also sort of this inherent quality that allows you to rely on the help that you actually need without feeling guilty or bad about it. So if your particular makeup means that you need an anti-anxiety medication in order to activate and find your bounce back ability, then I say, take it sister. Mm -hmm. Even as an acupuncturist and as someone who 
really believes in the in the body's ability to to recover and adjust and heal sometimes that's the way we need to do it and sometimes we need to do it that way forever and i think that the lack of acceptance around that is um is really harsh especially in the spiritual community and in the health community because we believe that you know if you take care of yourself well enough all of these things will go away and i just don't necessarily think that that's um think that that's true so i think that that this process of of discovery of yourself of reconnecting with yourself is core to the entire process of finding your resilience finding your bounce back ability and coming back from burnout but how you do that and who you do that with is not necessarily the most important part. It's just important that you do it. Like I love the things that I do and I love the way I do it because otherwise if I didn't love the way I did it, I would do it differently. Yeah. yeah. But I do not um, believe, I'm not dogmatic about it. I don't believe that it's the right way for everyone um, if, if it was a religion, I would encourage people to explore various options before they made a decision. You know, there are a million, a million roads to healing. Yes. But it all starts with you. It all starts with who you are, how you show up in the world, and what your inner voice tells you to follow, tells you to do. And learning how to hear that inner voice can happen through prayer, through meditation, through drugs, even, I mean, mm-hmm. take, it's, it can happen a million different ways. Mm-hmm. So I think that with the core goal of reconnecting with your inner voice and being your authentic self, the method by which you get there is unimportant. Mm-hmm. You can do it through food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can do it any way you want. Yeah. I always, I, I frequently will picture like a, or have the picture in my mind of a person with like a million different paths in front of them. And one lights up either yellow or or white or something that's bright, that's just, it's a little bit easier to take that path than any others. And so I know we were chatting at the beginning of this um, podcast about um, if relationships are maybe your challenge, then sometimes working on the relationship is your best step. And sometimes there's so much uh, kind of weight or frustration or built up resentment or something that working on your health or um, your finances while opening yourself to that can be the fastest route. Like if, if all of those roads end in the same place, then what's the one that's just a little bit easier than the rest or a little bit more exciting than the rest? Yes, absolutely. What is the one that lights you up a little, even if it's a little tiny bit, even if it's tiny, even if it's so, or maybe all the rest stress you out and one just feels neutral. Like it may not be light up yet. Yeah. Um, Just, yeah. Yeah. So I love that. I would love to know after a wonderful season, and I don't know when this uh, episode will um, air. I think I'm going to release it as a bonus, as a thank you for 2,500 downloads that happened this week. Ah, amazing. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) Okay. One of the things that I had wanted to know was what are uh, 
it can either be the best things, but I don't mean that in terms of comparison. What have been the most helpful or eye-opening moments that you really enjoyed from this season? From this podcast season? Oh my God. I can't even begin to be honest. Like this is the first time I've been trying to stay in a really calm, neutral place so that I could answer from a place that's sort of within me. Um, Mm. But that just like made all of my energy go straight to my head (laughs) because it's so exciting because it's so exciting to me. And the things that have really stuck out are the fact that we need to redefine success as we continue to grow. So we get this idea of what success looks like when we're children. And then when we meet it, we're often, or people that burn out are often disappointed by it because you get there and then it's done and then you're not sure what to do. And we fail to realize that we can like upgrade, constantly upgrade and shift our success into being something that fits more to our lives. I thought for a long time that success just meant financial fulfillment. And when I got to that place, I was like, that's it. <laughs> right. right. What, what next? You know? Um, and so I would have not been able to reassess that from a different place because I didn't grow up with any money. So I thought that by the time I had even enough to sort of not live paycheck to paycheck, that I was going to feel completely differently about the world. And when I didn't, and I didn't redefine that success for myself, that was a part of my burnout path that I didn't really realize until I had that conversation um, while I was on the podcast. Another thing that hits me every time is that every single person that I've talked to talks about overworking themselves from a place of low self-worth. Okay. And I just feel like (sighs) we've got to stop the madness Mm -hmm. around this. It's crazy. If you had told me, you know, 10 years ago that I had low self-worth, I would have been like, "Uh uh-uh, no, I don't. I did a good job at this. I did a good job at that. I know what I'm good at, et cetera, et cetera. When I finally realize that part of my drive to be successful was proving that I was valuable, it floored me. And then hearing that story come through in interview after interview after interview with women of different race and different origins and different countries and different languages. We were all saying it. And I thought, holy shit. We have really got to start doing something about this. I'm letting that one sink in. I really... Um, I appreciated that so much. And my mind instantly was like, what can we do? We need to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which may be a big question, but I'm wondering as you uh, opened your eyes to this, um, that discovery phase of, of recovery, um, what have you learned about helping the, the woman or the feminine in you Um, know that she is enough or that she is worthy? I think this is a constant practice, or at least it's still a constant practice for me. It's something that I have to make a concerted effort to notice and feel. This is not something that is natural to me yet. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it's something that I continuously practice. I still find myself at regular intervals being stuck in old stories. And then I notice and I say, okay, like time to shift out of that. But it's not because I, I, have, I haven't gotten myself into that story in the first place. I got to that story first and then noticed it, you know. And so I think that, um, I think that once again, it starts by teaching people to reconnect to themselves. Right. When you realize who you are underneath it all. And I do believe that there is a sense of divinity within each person. When you start to respect that and you start to accept that and you start to believe it and then you practice and you fuck up and you practice some more and you practice. You can use mantras, you can use surrendering, you can write. There's a million ways, again, to get there, but it's a practice of consistently reminding yourself of your own inherent value. Right. I love that. It feels like when you connect in with yourself and you find that part of yourself, you couldn't possibly not be enough. Like there is just that fullness of it, everything that you are in that. And the stories will still come up. <laughs> the ego-based, earth-based, scary stories will still come up. And then you have to stop and remind yourself again. I think breathing is a really important part of this. Mm -hmm. Just breath work. Yes. So my very last question, and so before I ask it, I would just like to say thank you so much for your honesty, your openness, your beauty and your answers and your willingness to share. And thank you for being in a place where all of these questions could be asked and your answers were phenomenal and I'm sure so helpful to so many people. So the last question that I would love to ask is, is there anything else on your heart that you feel called to share? I stop and take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Connect in. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Just love on yourself. Love on yourself. Not in the superficial way. I mean, I love Lizzo. You should sing Lizzo, like that will help. But <laughs> I mean, really see that in your depths, at the very core of who you are, you are love. Nothing more, nothing less. Just love. I think that's it. Well, I love that. And I love you so, so much um, <laughs> for sharing this time, for bringing this podcast to light, um, for helping with burnout. And I am so excited to see you end it across the world. Yeah, me too, Natalie. I am so excited that you asked me to do this. Um, it was really a wonderful experience to be on the other side of my own uh, questioning. I think 
you did an amazing job of finding some really poignant questions and making me stop and connect and think before I responded. So I'm so grateful for the time and energy you put into spending time with me today here. It was really great. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, thank you for being so magnificent so that <laughs> I could pull all of that inspiration together and distill it onto uh, a page of questions that I was equally as interested in, in hearing your answers to. All right. Well, everybody, we are going to wrap up this episode, this bonus episode that I'm going to release for you without a lot of editing. And I'm just going to throw it out into the world um, as a big thank you for hitting over 2,500 downloads, which is a massive, massive, massive accomplishment and means to me that the things that we're talking about are important to you. They matter to you and they're helping you. So I am so grateful to all of you, and I hope you feel after this episode that you know me a little bit better. So please um, let me know if you have any follow-up questions. Happy to answer them. And please send some love and gratitude to Miss Natalie Norris for being here with us today. Talk to you next time. (laughs) 